0: Let's get into it. Consistency, consistency is the key to success. My name is Anna K. Hutchinson, and you're listening to 4 Change People. Let's chat, let's laugh, because it's your time to start choosing you. everyone and welcome to the podcast today. Hey guys, this is Anna K. Hutchinson and we are joined today by Sonia Lewis. Hi. Hey, Miss Anna K. I thank you so much for having me on your show. Yes, I'm ready actually to get into this. So we're going to dive into the episode for today, but you know, there's always a little twist and turn here. So before we dive into the episode, I want to drag your memory. So think back to five-year-old Sonia. Mm, What would you be doing? Or what's one thing that you really remember at that age where you're like, I'm never going to forget?
1: Wow, that is a good question. And I say it's a good question because oftentimes I have reflected, I i just made 50 and I've reflected like every decade of my life, like there are not a lot of like really sustainable memories that I have being like between ages of two to six. Yeah. Um, But I do remember my mom always telling me that I was a daddy's girl and that when I got into kindergarten, you know, kindergarten is a half day of school and that I he had showed me on the clock what time he gets home and Mm -hmm. I would like sit at the door waiting like when is daddy coming it's past the time when is daddy coming and I would while partly irritating my mom because she would be (laughs) like do you sit at the door waiting on me when it's time for me to come home but the other part was like this little girl is waiting on daddy to come home she knows how to read the clock she's already able to read and things of that nature so I know that At at least according to my mom, I had, you know, I was a little advanced in in, in a lot of ways. My grandmother would call it an old soul. So I was at five years old, a very old soul.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just sitting here like, uh, that's what they call me every day. Right. Yes. (laughs) But there's nothing wrong with being old school or old soul. Not at all. Nothing is wrong with it. Listen, sometimes you have to be a little mature. Yes. You have to be that one in the group because of course, of course you got to be the one to straighten the group out. Right. right. (laughs) So when you're doing things, you're like, pull it back together. together." So what can you tell your five-year-old self? If you can say anything,
1: you know, I, I, I was so fortunate as a kid, and even at five years old, I was beginning to see things that really stuck out in my life to help me make decisions about, you know, is this good for me? Is this bad for me? Does this feel good to me? You know, I was really mature in that sense. And I would tell my five-year-old self to trust those feelings, trust your gut, trust, you know, that you're feeling something that, and that you have a voice to speak up You know, about it. I think that unfortunately, we've lived in a day and time, especially in this country, where the voices of children are oftentimes overheard, overlooked, silenced, and all of those kind of things. I'm very happy to say that my parents made sure that my voice was um, heard, but there were still times where I was with other adults where I didn't feel as comfortable. And so I would always say, I would say to five year old Sonia, trust that gut, trust your voice and say it, just speak it into life.
0: Exactly, exactly. That's what, you know, many of us need to tell our five-year-olds or... 10 you know trust your gut you know um speak out um about what is going on you know many times we are suppressed and so many times as kids you know because we haven't gotten that kind of embrace we don't showcase exactly what's going on um so you know definitely trust your gut
1: share a little bit about who you are your background give us the details you know, it's so interesting. I still refine, you know, my introduction and how I, I present myself to people. Um, I will tell you that very foundationally to who I am is rooted in who my parents are. So my mom is a girl who grew up in the Midwest, um, grew up in the projects of Chicago, uh, while my dad is a very southern country boy who grew up on uh, many acres of land and experienced picking cotton. Both of them experienced racism and were motivated to come to California where I was eventually conceived and they married, um, but they came here for very similar reasons for opportunity. And so when my parents were married and um, I was then brought into the world, into their picture, it was really a matter of um, instilling in me that that you can be anything that you, I I literally believed my parents when they say, you can be be anything you wanna be. You are beautiful. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And if they do come tell me, right? So I had that sense of support from like, as far as I can remember. Um, The younger me was very eager to learn. Like my mom was in college. And so I saw her what opened up textbooks. And so I was like, oh, let me get a book. And so I learned to read at a very early age. while my counterparts who were in preschool were like trying to play with dolls. <laughs> and so I grew up very in a, always in very urban cities. Um, I consider myself an Oakland chick um, and I'm very reminiscent the song that most describes my growing up is, I take people back to LL Cool J when he sung the song Around the Way Girl. That's just me. I'm that girl who is very open, adventurous. Um, education was high priority on my list and I didn't back down to people. Um, lots of my friends from very long time ago, elementary, middle school, high school, even college, say that I am the bully of the bullies. So I, I defend and I, I listen and I, I look out for people. And that, you know, still is indicative of who I am still to this day. The bully of the bullies. (laughs) I am the bully of the bullies, yes. The good way, though. In the good way, though. Absolutely. (laughs) The
0: good way. But you know what? I actually have to say having some bully of the bullies in your life, you know, pushes you to do something that you wouldn't want to do, because I'm sure many of your friends can say, hey. If Sonia never said or done right. it or say, Hey, you could have, I'm sure they probably wouldn't have. And, um, many times we need those people in our lives, not just because, you know, they are more strong right. <laughs> in the sense, you know, but we just need them to um, show us what we can see. Absolutely. Many times, you know, it's hard for us to see what we have inside of us. But when someone else, you know, this is exactly what you can do, then we start saying, oh, wait, wait a minute. Share what your company is all about. Mm -hmm. Tell us uh, a little bit more about
1: how you even started this company. So share that with us. Absolutely. So I am a former high school teacher and it's so odd that I became a high school teacher because, um, when I graduated from high school, I was like that nerd honor roll kid. And I was like, I'm gonna be a doctor. Specifically, I wanted to be a research scientist doctor who discovered the the um, cure for the disease sickle cell, which is very um, much a part of the black community. And I had a cousin firsthand who suffered with sickle cell um, crises and would always be in and out of the hospital. And I go off to college and I attend an HBCU, which is an historically black college and university. Big ups to Spelman, you know, I, I cannot say enough that we are still the number one HBCU and have been for over 30 years. Like that is something to say. And I am extremely proud of Um <laughs> But when I arrived at Spelman, I took my freshman entrance exams. And for the first time in my entire educational career, I was faced with failure because according to their standards and and the test, I didn't do so hot. And it forced me to have to take remedial reading and remedial math. And I am coming from a place in California where I had taken college level math classes. My mom who was in college at the same time, I was her math tutor and I failed according to Spelman standards. And so that was like a a red bulb went up in my head in regards to the education system in the state that I was from and that we're not doing so hot compared to other um, other states. Right. And so that was something. And then I I didn't fail, but I received a C minus in my my freshman biology class, which all of your major classes you had to pass with a B or better. And so part of me was like, okay, this is not the place for me. This is my, you know, I'm experiencing all this failure and I changed my major and I had always had a love for history. My dad and I would have these conversations about anything and everything, but I loved history. I loved debate. And so I was like, okay, well, if I can't be a doctor, then I'm going to be a lawyer, right? I got to come back to my community (laughs) with some kind of high level degrees to make my community proud. I got to represent and teacher wasn't just one of those things that I, that was like everyday folks were teachers. I want to be a doctor or a lawyer. And so um, flip ahead to maybe my junior year of college. And I had um, interned at a um, law office, a black law firm in um, Washington, D.C. And I was like, OK, this is not like this is not what I imagine my life being. And so I went back and I regrouped and I was like, what's the easiest major not to change my major to go into and not have to make a whole bunch of shifts. And so I was already majoring in history. I was history pre-law and I changed it to history ed and it was a natural fit. And so I went from and additionally I added psychology to my major and that in in and of itself was like, okay, I'm going to become this teacher. I'm going to get my masters in education. If I'm going to do anything, I'm going to just, you know, be able to move up the ranks. And I said, once I got into teaching, I said, I'm not going to be an administrator. I can't see myself not focusing on the kids. I need to be with the kids. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of things like I, I'm sharing that led up to the point of how a scribe got to get started. Mm-hmm. But the last you know, straw that broke the camel's back for me was the fact that I knew that I wouldn't retire a teacher, but I wouldn't leave for some reason. Like I didn't have an exit strategy. And so my job was like, Snatched from underneath me because I recognized that there were some inequities that were taking place and I wouldn't be quiet about it. And so I then quit. And, you know, now, you know, it took me a year of being off and I took my savings and I invested in starting a scribe, which is, you know, really an equity company at the end of the day.
0: So the name Ascribe, where did the name come from?
1: You know, I was, I had listened to this and this is like 12 years ago. So a decade ago, I was listening to some business gurus, just some videos that my mom had given me. And she was like, well, if you think about going into education, doing something else, think about starting a business. I'm like, mom, I've never been in business and I I can't imagine being in business. And she was like, well, just listen to this video and, and tell me what you think. And so one of the pieces of advice that came out of that video was if you start a business choose the name of the business that start with the letter a of the alphabet people will find you easier (laughs) And so I really went through all of the words, the positive words that started with the letter A. And I was like, I want to ascribe to, I want to make a commitment to success. And really and truly at the end of the day, when I was still getting phone calls from students and parents about helping them transition from high school to the real world, it was like we're ascribing to something, being better. What is that dream? What is that end goal? And so ascribe just resonated with me. I was also when I, you know, dis- decided on the name for the business, I was big into acronyms. And so I was big into taking a word and like making it all capital letters for the sake of every letter meaning something. And so back then, a scribe stood for, stood for if I can remember it, achieving success, conveying intelligence, at befitting excellence, something like that. Right. And so after a while, I was like, I can't utter out all these words to describe what we are. And so it just be got shorter and it was a scribe success. And so that's where a scribe comes from.
0: I love it. I love it. You know, many times we don't see, you know, where we're heading to, but we have people or they're just like giving us the direction yeah, without us knowing, look, your mom said, Hey, watch this. Right.
1: Right yeah we'll we'll that, we'll that. Business coming out of that, absolutely,
0: yeah, that journey sometimes you know we we do things and we think about it like, oh, why am I even doing this? but we never realize, you know it ever met her up to the fact that, hey, wait, it could be something, something. later on. That you need exactly epic something that you're going to look back at and say, Hey, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, you know, it's like a 360 degrees right there, coming back right around, right? Um, to you. So, you touched a little bit about you know, um, being an educator and um, you you touched on history. Um, as a high school history teacher, like, share with us what. <laughs> Share with us your, I'll say your takeaway um, from just being a history teacher, the impact that you have on some of their students. And I mean, history, you know, yeah, you study history in college, but you could have done
1: anything else, anything else, right? It's so (laughs) funny that you say that because I would have students come into my class and they'd be like, we hate history. It's so boring and, and leave out of my class being like, this is my favorite subject, right? I still to this day, I can remember my first year of full time teaching and I was 23 and so a lot of the the more mature or older staff members who were on campus would be like she's a student she could not possibly be a teacher with a master's degree right and so i oftentimes if i was mis- i was confused with students walking in the hallway but i still to this day my first year of teaching i was in San Francisco and i have students who i keep in touch with back from 1999, who are now adults in their careers with families. And so the impact is so, we, you never know what, what one teacher or multiple, if you're a good teacher, what impact you might have on a student. And vice versa, I can say that I have teachers that I can remember in high school. I still keep in touch with some of them to this day. I posted a, a picture this past weekend. One of my girlfriends turned 50 and joined me in the 50s. Club. And one of my other girlfriends is getting married in Jamaica this next Sunday. And so we were having these celebrations and I posted a bunch of pictures and one of my high school teachers commented on them. Look at those Burbank girls. I'm so proud of them. Right. And we graduated high school 30 years ago. Right. And so I can remember that that connection was big for me. And I wanted to make sure that that was a big part of who I was when I showed up in the classroom. And so I still have students. I had a student call me last week like miss lewis can you do me a favor you know and i'm like of course anything for my students especially my favorites
0: You said that you when you said that 23 walking, um, i you know, being a teacher. Um, so I worked at uh middle school for the um past like two years and I work with a special ed department. So, you know, look at my face. You know, I look right. super young. So, you right. know, walking through the hallway, they're like, Oh wait, is this a who this is a student? Where are you? Right. <laughs> Exactly. But, um, I get, I get that feeling. I get, I understand exactly what you felt. Walk us through your program that you created recently. Walk us through that program. Um, share with us, um, how has it been impactful to the community and, um, share with us how we can be, um, a part of this, um, your, um, new program that you just launched.
1: Perfect. So, it was it. The past decade, I will say, has had ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of being in business. And but I've always been one very reflective. That every year we're going to go back, we're going to read, adjust uh, where we need to, reimagine where we can, and just create things and be ready, you know, at the drop of a dime. And so that's just the spirit of me as a business person being on the fly. The second part is when the pandemic hit and schools closed. I knew as a mom from a personal perspective that I schools were not ready to close down. And since they weren't ready to close down and I had an education background, I wanted to use that to the advantage of my children. And I said, OK, to myself, self, if my babies are at home struggling with structure with this distance learning, I'm imagining that other students and their families are having the same um, struggles. And so it was so funny on a Friday evening. It was it was March, fr- Friday, the 13th in March yeah. last year. And I said, okay, God, what am I doing? What am I, what are we gonna, I went to bed that night. I had a dream that I was gonna start an online school. And so that was nugget number one. I woke up that morning and like literally in a matter of hours, I had a whole program written out. Now I, I I consider myself, I pride myself on being able to turn out curriculum on anything. You give me a subject, I can research it. I can put it into curriculum because I know how to scaffold and meet the needs of different learners. And so, but what I didn't know is that I've never marketed before. I've never, I never knew, you know, going back into what's traditionally education with students, um, what that would look like. And so so I just began all of the friends that I have in various places. I have been very intentional on keeping really good relationships and not burning bridges mm-hmm. and or not letting people forget. Oh, remember when, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not shy about asking someone that I've had, you know, previous relations or dealings with, hey, yeah. can you help me with this? And so I called all of my teacher and administrative friends. And I was like, can I send you a flyer? Would you share this on your social media? And then I began to tag lots of groups. And I said, OK, we're starting a virtual space. And another part of the dream that I had was, Sonia, if you can teach anything that you want to teach, what would it look like? And I was like, of course, it would be Black. Of course, it would be all of the things that the, the school system intentionally doesn't teach us so that we have pride in ourselves. And I have th- four little black children looking at me every day at home. This will show them, you know, what a tower teacher is supposed to show up and be an advocate for their lived experiences. And so I, I called it the teaching time for revolutionary minds. And we just like I, I separated the elementary kids from the middle and high school kids. We met two days a week for each group and when i tell you i've never taught elementary i was like i am so in love with these little babies they gave me life in a different kind of way i had 7 year olds you know saying things like and and i I'm, I'm not also a teacher that is going to force you to choose something politically or force you to choose something um, religiously or socially so that it's like being shoved down your throat. I want to give kids an opportunity to make their own come to their own conclusions and make their own decisions. And so I had students in that space. I can remember a little Jewish girl in particular. And she said, Miss Sonia if we impeach the president and this is a seven-year-old and I'm thinking to myself, impeach, this is a seven-year-old having a conversation with me about, so I'm I'm sitting back and I'm like, Oh my goodness, what have I, you know, these are nuggets. These babies are royal. They are like frugal ground. And I just want to be able, if I can just drop whatever seeds I can. And so we had this conversation, like they had conversations about being scared of the pandemic completely understandable. They had concerns about not being around their friends because kids today are raised in a socialized environment. Mm -hmm. Lots of things came up in that space. But I said to myself, I wanna do five main things. I wanna make sure that kids see black folks in leadership positions, in teacher positions. So I would invite my friends in and I would say, hey, I need you, you're an expert at this, come in and teach this lesson for me. So representation. Two, I knew that the social, emotional and mental health of our kids would be strained during this time of the pandemic. I wanted to give them resources and activities and things that they can say, oh, maybe right now I need to breathe instead of have a tantrum about why I can't get this done. So that social, emotional and mental health was a piece of it. Three, I my, one of my biggest pet peeves of being an educator was black kids were always seen as the villains and they were always criminalized. And so I wanted to do whatever I could to impact the school to prison pipeline. We are like stopping it because if you I believe that when you teach kids pride about themselves, they then will show up because they know that they can be better. Right. <laughs> (laughs) And then four, we were working on leadership and advocacy. I I wanted every baby to come out of there like, I'm going to speak up. And if there's a problem, they better know that we are going to solve that problem. And then the last thing that I wanted to, to, as a takeaway was know that, they have a right to equity in the classroom. And what does that look like? And you are the problem solver and you can challenge you know, the, the system, the way that it's designed so that it can be better for the future. And I think we did a pretty doggone good job with, with meeting those goals. And based on the feedback from the parents and the students, it was just a beautiful experience. And now we have it every summer where we do the teach-in. Um, this summer, we just so happen to be focused on financial literacy. The kids are learning about food de- deserts and food sovereignty. They're learning how to so- um, start businesses from the perspective of solving a problem in their own community. And then finally, they're learning how to invest in the stock market. And with that, they can invest in their future. Every kid who finishes my program gets a hundred dollars to do one of those ventures. So it's pretty cool what we've been able to create. Yes. I
0: love it. I love it. I love, and especially the idea of you know, repaying them yeah. for it. You know, I, I think that is one thing that you're going to think back to and say, Hey, remember that $100 that right. pushed me to start this, right? Um, I, I mean, the educational aspect of it is very important but you know many times as kids we don't remember right <laughs> so much you know the, the, it's just what you have done the impact that you have made that one gesture that you have done and I'm sure if we started us thing back when I was this age that age you can remember when your grand your granddad right. or your mom or uncle or someone walked up to you and they said one thing or gave you one thing right. And you hold on to that memory and you hold it close to you. So I know that these kids are going to walk away from this program like, of
1: course. <laughs> Absolutely. That is the hope, right? And I don't care if, if the week after we finish and I've gifted all of them with $100 and a month later, the $100, they've lost investment. The purpose of it is to instill the, the the risk, the the wanting and the desire to try again. And that we might not, you know, succeed the first time around. We They might buy a stock that tanks and goes out of business and they lose the $100, but now they know how to invest in the stock market market you know they might say i want a lemonade stand and they take that hundred dollars and buy all the supplies and then next week they realize i don't want a lemonade stand because it's 100 degrees if you're living in where i live and i can't stand out here for three hours and nobody's coming and buying my lemonade but it's the adventure of thinking that you have the ability to do it and that's what i that's that's more important than if they turn that hundred dollars into a thousand dollars so
0: absolutely so described. Um, what is the impact that it's making right now? What is the impact that it's making today? And where do you see your company going in the next five years? And also share with us where we can um, get on board where um, where kids can be a part of this program. Talk to us about um, ways that you know the community can help um, to get off the ground.
1: Absolutely. So I have to be honest that the, the teach-in is our like our give back. That's not a way that we make money. That's not how we stay in business. That and, and we are a for-profit organization, right? And so that's my give back. That's my summer give back. We don't charge parents a dime for their children to be enrolled in our program. And so oftentimes I do fundraisers where I am hitting up every office business, um, all of my elected officials that are in my local area. Um, and I'm saying, hey, this is something you talk about equity, you talk about education, and you want to make an impact in communities that are considered disenfranchised. You talk about these communities um, from a deficit perspective rather than a resource-driven um, perspective. How are we going to make that happen? And so if people are interested in um, supporting the teaching, I would say, you know, we have a book drive that we do each time the teacher's in, in place, and we're raising funds for the book drive to give to our scholars as well as the, the gift of the $100. That's how we raise Raise funds for, but to pay the bills and how a scribe stays in business is that we are we're not your typical DEI company, but we're an equity firm. Is what I call myself. I call I call what I do personally. I am an anti-racism impact strategist, and so I work with organizations, education, but government, um, corporate, nonprofit whatever entity that you're in, we have to talk about this big elephant in the room called racism. And so when the pandemic hit, we, a couple of things were exposed. Um, George Floyd happened, right? Breonna Taylor happened, Ahmaud Aubrey happened. And so what came out of that was a big push around this country and even around this world, I would say globally, we now can say that there have been some institutional, structural and systemic racism that's embedded in who we are as a country. And so I go into organizations and I help them with those equity pieces. And so I am not your DEI firm where you can just check a box, cross a T and dot an I. That is not me. I will turn you down. I'll be like, nope, I am not the girl for you. I will not, you know, tarnish the integrity of the business that I've built for a decade. And so really and truly, if there was something that folks are, if this resonates with you if you have a business or organization or you work for a team and you all know that you need better quality um, equity, I am your girl when it comes to curating safe space for courageous conversations. And really and truly, I mean that. This isn't about blaming and shaming white folks into feeling guilty about the, bit of the privilege and benefits that they have. This is about having conversations Conversations that when we're sitting in spaces together, that white folks recognizing that th- we've all been one condition and then two, being able to have, co- lead from a mindset of we can share resources because there are so many resources, especially in America, that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. I truly believe that if we take a step in the direction of ending poverty we will also end racism because it's not a matter of resources we have plenty in this country it's a matter of understanding perspective and where we all come from and so those are kind of like the two different veins so when I get to put on my my business jacket it's a matter of how what how are we curating that safe space so that one white folks don't get fragile and white tears don't begin to flow But at the same time, how can we as black and brown and and other folks show up in those spaces and say, you have gaslit me, you have microaggressed me, and where can we meet in the middle of where humanity resides? One of the things that my business stands on is making sure that any team that we work with Everyone has a seat at the table. Every voice is important. And belonging, at the end of the day, is going to drive your bottom line. If you are a product-driven company and productivity is a, a matter of your bottom line, belonging and having these conversations where people feel like they belong, it will impact your bottom line. And so they might seem like two very different things, equity work and then kids you know, getting things that they need to feel proud. But they, at the end of the day, it's all equity to work to me. I started off as a teacher and I saw the inequities in the education system. We carry those things into the real world when we leave the school system. So if we can figure out poverty and education, we can figure out racism.
0: Definitely can. We can. And, you know, um, it brings me to asking this question here where, um, you know, Back when I worked in the middle school, you know, this question was brought up to me, which is, do you think um, every single student sh- or is is um, have the mind set to be a part of the? educational world Mm -hmm. and you know oftentimes we we think about it this way are because we 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 want to put this notion that if you don't if you don't have the money it's best that you go do something else right and um it kind of lowered the esteem for these kids because then you're thinking, okay, I guess, you know, um, you know, I don't come from a rich background. I I don't have the money. So why push towards it? So the question here that I want to ask is how is it that we can change that perspective? How can we change it so that when we talk to our youth, we don't put that as like the big, um, You know notion in their head to say hey listen you know not every single person is meant to be in school or not every single um area is meant for you like how can we change that
1: yeah i think we we have to lead from a perspective that every student is capable of learning now does everyone's skills and talents the things that they are good at or passionate about need require an education Mm -hmm. i would say no right so I asked this question, if, if we have a standard in America that students must graduate from high school in the 12th grade, right? Are we providing with them with the schools and, and, and the skills and the tools in their, to, on their tool belt to help them sustain themselves in the real world, and so there are some things that I think that the school system can add, like knowing how to balance your checkbook. Like that's to me is more important than um, the ions and the uh, you know the things bounce around in our cells. That's important if someone wants to become a doctor, right? But everyone's not going to become a doctor, and so I approach this conversation by saying, one, every student can learn. Every student doesn't need an education past 12th grade and we need to do a better job of brokering what education looks like to include things that are not as book savvy and things that include things that are tech savvy because we want them to be prepared. We want them to have agency, right? This isn't just a matter of, you know, the resources. They need to have agency. Agency is a matter of access. Do I have access to a college degree? Do I have access to even know how to write a resume so that I can go for a job, a regular job that doesn't require an education? Do I have access to the training modules to become a mechanic, right? I don't wanna tell someone that they can't become this thing right? That's an ego buster. That's that thing that black folks in particular in this country have been told for decades. You can't become this. So here you here, you should become a cook. You should become a maid. You should become a secretary. Things that don't require formal college education. And I think that that's a huge disservice to uh, black and brown and poor children, particularly.
0: It is. It is. I, you know, you brought that up the, um, you know, Have been different areas for kids and I, I, you know from personally from my background growing up in Jamaica um, when I was in school I pretty much picked the major that I wanted to be a part of from high school and if you want to become if you want to major in arts you were in a particular class for that if you want to major in business you were in a class for that If you want to major in design and um, we um, the culinary world you had a class for that absolutely so every single person had their area and so it wasn't like hey you know everyone is just like propelled to this area they were like pushed to different areas that best fits them and so i i find that with that skill because it's a skill at the end of the day if you think about it learning how to cook, learning how to, um, you know, draw or design or create different areas. It's a skill that you can take anywhere. And yes, you're going to still have the educational part of it where you're going to learn the calculus or the algebra or that or this, you know, but you still have that skill that you can fall back on. And a lot of our kids, you look at them, and they don't want to be a part of a particular class because they don't have that, they're not, in, you know, that they're Absolutely. not for it. And so they sit there and they're like, right. And the things that they really want to do, they're left out. And then, Absolutely. and then when that happens, is, oh yeah, you're, some people are not meant to be a part of school or right. Like, but there's nothing there set up for these kids to push them forward or to get them going. Wow. So I like that, you know, you you mentioned that because indeed every single person is different. Uh, you know, we have, we might have different similarities, but at the end of the day, what you cherish, or I should say what pushes you is not going to be the same thing that pushes me, you know? Right. So it's, it's definitely, we have to really, Think about that, and I you know, hopefully one day (laughs) we can you know, Ed the the those who are at the top can look really into this and say, hey, what what are we doing with our generations that are coming up? What are we really putting out there? Right. Listen, it's what is it going to be? What is right. gonna be 25, um, 50 years from now, you know, 30 years from now, what is it going to be? So we have to really think about that. So share with us your Instagram page, your.
1: Facebook page, your website, so that we can check you out. So it's really easy. It's Ascribe, A S C R I B E, success. And so you can find us at ascribesuccess.com. You can find us on Instagram and on Facebook with that same handle. And on Twitter, we are Ascribe Ed E D. Um, so I, I tried to make it as sim- simple as possible, but we've been around now, you know, since a lot of businesses have opened up, especially during this pandemic, there was a huge surge of businesses being um, open and I wanted to make sure that I got those names (laughs) set in stone um, and that they were similar on as many places as I could, but you can definitely reach out. We have a free um, 30 minute consult that we do with new clients who have just questions about equity, right? Like my business is doing this. Are we on the right track? I also just, just so that, you know, there are three areas just in this world of DEI and equity that we are living in right now. There are things that your businesses should be doing and you should be able to go to those who are making decisions at your team and organization, the company you work for, And one is the acknowledgement that racism is a thing and that it negatively impacts people who live in this country. And then two, there's a pledge that a lot of businesses are making to anti-racism. And so if you are going to be able to hold your business, you know, owner and and executive accountable to those things, there are some things that they need to understand when it comes comes to shared language and shared values. And then finally, having an equity statement in place that matches your mission and vision so that the people who either you serve or the product that you are trying to get sold, um, that it is as equitably distributed as possible so that you are getting information out to the masses rather than just targeting one type of person. And so that's what's happening in the world of equity. I share those things because a lot of people say, oh, yeah, my business is throwing this amount of dollars for these kids over here. That's nice, but that's a tax write-off. Mm-hmm. And so we need to do more and the doing more is actually the action. And the action is how do you show up in spaces so that you don't offend people with marginalization, with gaslighting, with the microaggressions that show up in every arena that we have all gotten accustomed accustomed to in this country. So that's just a little bit of who we are and how you can get with us and we are here for the real conversations. Awesome. So um There you have it. We have Sonia
0: Lewis, who just shared about her company, her baby. Um, Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for sharing. Um, Listen, if you haven't taken anything away from the podcast, there's one thing I want you to take away equity. Take away that and um, make sure that we, you know, you really think about the impact that it can have on the generations to come. Um, You know, think about the future generation. Think about the fact that we want a, a country, we want a nation, we want a place for not just my people but your people to be a part Absolutely. of and um, we have to work together listen it's uh, we can't say that there's love <laughs> right. When We really don't have it because we have to share with every single person and it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, what you stand for, what you do. It's it's this appreciation for the fact that, hey, I can call on you. You can call on me and we can work hand in hand. Absolutely. At the end of the day, that's all we want to work hand in hand. We want to put things together. We're on the same mission. The same mission. Yeah. And so thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing. And if you have any last, you know, any last thing that you want to share, any, any, um, word of encouragement that you want to share anything, go ahead.
1: So my grandmother taught me when I was a young girl that a closed mouth doesn't get fed. And basically that means that if you don't ask, if you don't open up your mouth to ask for the things that you need, um, you will be overlooked. And then the other thing that I like live my life by is Maya Angelou said something along the line of people will forget what you did. They will forget what you said, but they won't forget how you made them feel. And so those are kind of things that I live like my creed by. And then finally, you know, we're it, it, on this mission, mission of equity. At the end of the day, I am trying to right the wrongs and reevaluate all of the things that my ancestors were denied so that future generations can have. And so if we talk about equity, we're talking about thrivability, not just of surviving.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And there we go. We
1: close it out with that.
0: <laughs> thank you again for being here and being a part of the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Go for it now because the future is promised to no one. You have just listened to a weekly episode of 4 Change Be Bold podcast. You can keep the conversation going by following us on our Instagram page and our Facebook page at 4 Change Be Bold podcast. And until next week, have a wonderful Friday.